Hello, Jack. How are you? Very well, thanks, Andy. It's very hot, isn't it? It's very hot. Intensely hot and muggy. It's fully muggy. Yeah, fully it's, muggy. <laughs> it's like a. It's like um, swimming through a kind of warm soup, just trying to move around the house. Oh God, swimming through a warm soup. <laughs> the air. latest chapter in your autobiography. <laughs> what have you been doing this week, Jack? Um, I. Do you know what? I don't. I. The whole heat of the week is totally wiped over my memory. Um, I've been doing band practice. Yeah, with Clumsy. With Clumsy. We've got a gig or two coming up. We've got a couple of gigs coming up uh, next Wednesday and next Friday. Nice. And then, Where are they? Oh, next Wednesday is... is that, ooh, it's sold out. Oh. Uh, well, some people listening might have tickets. Yeah. Make them feel very smug about we're it. We're supporting Mike Love at the Attic Bar. Cool. And then next Friday, we're playing at um, a place called Zed Alley, uh, which will be fun. Great. And then I've also been doing some recording with Fourth Project. All, wow. all of which... Well, the fourth project stuff happened in this very studio. In this very studio, Claremont Studios. Is that what we're calling it? Yeah. Let's just call it your house for now, I suppose. <laughs> I've done some corporate role play this week, so Ooh. I'm feeling very uplifted and spiritually alive. Um, you know, uh, it, was, it was fascinating. You also have had a very exciting day. I've been starting, I've started a new job. I'm doing the voices for a YouTube animation uh, of the popular video game Fortnite. So up and down the country, 14-year-old boys will know my voice. Are any of your episodes online yet? I think so, yeah. Perhaps link available in the description below, perhaps. <laughs> we'll find out. Anyway, <laughs> that's enough about us, Jack. Uh, because we're very... Is, or is there more? No, I was just going to say, what are we like? What Jack. are we like? Like a couple of old friends nattering away for hours. Anyway, right. This week, very pleased to say, we are joined by actor, improviser, divisor, performer and linguist... And singer, Peter Baker. Peter, hello. Hello, Andy. Hello, Jack. Welcome to the Bristol Prologue. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Uh, Your credits, I should say, include working with Degrees of Error and Closer Each Day, two couple of improv companies in Bristol, as well as recently appearing in Parlour Games and in many, many other shows in Bristol and beyond over the last few years. Uh, So, Peter, welcome to the show. Um, Now, my first question I'd like to know and I'm very, very curious to find out the whole history, but within about three minutes, if possible. You came into the acting profession performing quite late in life, despite your youthful appearance. <laughs> Thank you. Too so kind. how do we account for the sort of 10 or 15 years before you came into the act- in acting profession? What, what were you up to? Well, they were slightly wilderness years in that um, I'd always wanted to be an actor when younger and then went to university instead, joined a band and then... Just, I think I'd done a bad show and I'd gone to the Edinburgh Festival right. and shared a three-bedroom flat with 20 people. <laughs> and I felt so drained and overwhelmed after it and was current, also concurrently inspired by the band that I was in. And I thought, that's it. Acting's not for me. You know, I can't do it. I think now looking back, I realise I just probably was not emotionally uh, equipped to do acting. Really? At that, yeah, that tender age of... Uh, <laughs> 20 yeah so yeah so i didn't do any any sort of acting for about 13 years and i didn't even go to the theater so you totally this is a total escape i cut it out completely. well i mean i know what that's like those initial experiences can really 
can really put you off if you have a bad time. But so what was the band like? What kind of music were you doing? <laughs> the we uh we we took ourselves very seriously. We were sort of uh we liked to think we were dark cinematic rock. Right. And um we the we did have the drummer who was touring with Massive Attack at the time play wow. on our demo. Okay. And we did our first gig at the Louisiana, which went uh really well and the sound guy recorded it and then the bassist girlfriend of nine years left him for the drummer right the week afterwards and it just all fell and apart that was it. <laughs> yeah a personal split in the no. band and so then i just thought i'm putting all performance out of my head so and that was it you and and not only that but you left england as well i did eventually i worked for a few years i worked um in a uh, record label right. uh, real world peter yeah. gabriel's record label wow. Moved to London to a private members club slash recording studio and then moved, segued into um, brand management and intellectual property. So, so. In, in with Peter Gabriel and in the studio stuff, yeah. what were you doing? Were you session singer or were you production? Or <laughs> No, so I was actually on the label side. Right. So um, as there were only four people there, it was quite good. I sort of basically had all the jobs that nobody wanted. So initial processing of demos. So we did actually listen to everything that came in. Um, and helping with artwork, assisting. So sometimes I was on the phone to, you know, big names yeah. and so forth. Go on, and... you can name drop. In Ooh. fact, I'm encouraging you to. <laughs> oh, well, well, of course, being a studio, they're going to, they get loads of people there. So you have, you know, everyone from Robert Plant to, I do remember the Dandy Warhols not being able to get back in the studio because of a Randy Swan. <laughs> <laughs> because it's on a mill pond. Right. <laughs> and uh, the Swan basically was barring the entry to the studio. Maybe so he just any... didn't like the Dandy Warhols. <laughs> well, or liked them too much. Yeah. So... And he wanted to keep them all to himself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was that, extraordinary. I mean, yeah, I don't it, think we can top that, but we'll try. Probably can't. Uh, so you moved to Spain. This is this is sort of my knowledge of your life, and that I knew that you'd come from Spain. Yes. Before you came back to Bristol and got into the industry. So, so you were living in Barcelona. I was living in Barcelona with my ex yeah, at yeah. the time. Um, then we broke up, but by that point, I'd been in Barcelona for four years, and I felt that was where my life was. Yeah. Um, and then I I had co-written a murder mystery dinner party game and we're in spanish because they don't really have them out there and did a test version there and one of the people at the test version was an actress in a company a spanish well a catalan company and she'd emailed the following week and asked if i'd audition for a part in their show because they'd had an actor dropped out and i was very stressed i went and auditioned i didn't get it but then the next production they did they had written a part for me so i started rehearsing that and I did do the first uh, preview performance before they go back to rehearsals and tweaking and decided that it was too stressful. Right. And <laughs> so you thought about acting, but then when it got back into it, it was actually like, oh, no, I'm not well, sure. Well, it was such a whammy out of the blue that yeah, I hadn't yeah. really thought about it. And also I was acting in a foreign language. And, and also the rehearsals went on interminably. I mean, now, having worked in England and done stuff, I realise you can get things done far quicker right. than, <laughs> than were being done at that point. Yeah, so yeah. I don't think it was necessarily all me. So you mentioned there about working in a, in a foreign language mm. for you, uh, so Spanish or Catalan, was it a bit of both? It was both. The right. play was probably about three quarters Catalan and a quarter right. Spanish. And, of course, that's not where your language skills end. We've also got... Uh, French, French, a bit of Russian, a little bit of Russian. It's very rusty now, and some German as well. Wow! So, did you do a lot of work with languages throughout that period of of your life? 
Uh, I think they definitely came in useful, but I found that I ended up more on... I was working in... Um, I suppose it's it was content development for various brands. So we owned Agatha Christie, Enid Blyton. Right. So any... And I worked across all video and publishing. So if... If you were, if there was a new TV show, maybe I would go along. I might sit in on the auditions, or I might go to the so forth. Unfortunately, that didn't happen a lot. But also, there was an interesting aspect that was content generation. So, with Enid Blyton, who'd written something like four hundred books, you get to after a while, you you try to mine areas that are currently untapped for new developments. We worked on. A new TV show with Marathon in France that was the new Famous Five. And also um, looking at developing one of the younger girls' stories out of the Enchanted Wood. So basically looking looking that way. So And, and this was when you were in Barcelona? So that was that was in England, sorry. Oh, sorry, Barcelona. Right. Okay, so Barcelona. Unfortunately, I moved at the time of the uh, credit crunch. Right. So all the companies that I had worked with yeah. had either gone kaput or shrunk their staff. Right. So instead, I got a job as an English teacher. Ah, okay, okay. So, but the language skills then the language helps then. Yes, sorry. So you um, so you leave Barcelona, you come back to England. Yeah. Um, and you live in Bristol. Was that for any particular reason? Or? Well, actually, what happened was um, so I'd, by that point I was living in Barcelona. I'd quit the I'd quit that show. Um, I had come back for Christmas and was chatting with a friend. Uh, from childhood and she was saying isn't it strange that we're not doing the things that we loved when younger yeah i.e acting so we both agreed to book a four-day course oh that's great in march and who was who was the friend sorry uh my friend sally right so not from bristol shout, shout out to sally sally woodcock uh so she so yes we booked a we booked a we arranged to book this course at the poor school in london in march so i've Went to London for that, did the four-day course, and they have a two-year programme. And at the end of the course, they offered me a place on the two-year programme, which was great, but I couldn't afford it. It was too much. But my emotional reaction to that is what made me decide to investigate moving back to the UK. And I looked at other short courses, and the old Vic Theatre School had a Shakespeare course and a modern course. I thought, oh, that's good. That looks really good. Good school. Also cheaper than London. <laughs> um, I sort of knew Bristol a bit because I'd studied at Union Bath. And so that's what that's what cement. So my two week experience is what made me decide to move to yeah. Bristol. And so you went for it then, the, cor- the two courses at Bristol Vic. Yeah. And who did you who did you work with there? Who are you taught so by? So that's a course that um, that's run by Gary Oston. Yeah. And we also had um, some work with Pamela Rudge, who's the singing teacher there. Gail Gordon, who was the movement director, and she's now moved to um, work with Chantry Dance. And yeah, it was really, really, it was really fun pack, intense two weeks. So what did that uh, experience, did it it sort of affirm ideas that you had about what it meant to be an actor and, and how to act? Or was it a whole... You know what was what was that experience like? I think I'm still learning. What, well, of fully, course, of course, still learning. But yeah, it definitely, it definitely made, it definitely cemented my desire to go for it. So at that point, I decided I'm going to give myself five years to see if this is what I want to do, and also just see how I get on and and how far. So how so, long ago was that? What year are you into? <laughs> um, it'll be five years. 
Well, yeah, it's five years. Yeah. So we summer. can assume that you're still you're still doing it then. You're still in the in the profession. I'm definitely going to do it for at least another year. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I'm going to stick in it for yeah. a while. Yeah. So we'll just we'll just sort of tail off this last bit of sort of factual biography. So you finish up at finish up at Bristol. Yeah. Um, and get your first work fairly quickly after that. What, what were the first jobs that you had? Well, what I did then was I booked. Yeah, I did the Bristol Acting Academy course, which is the part time one at the Old Vic, and I got a part in a fringe Edinburgh show early on, sort of about February that year. And I also auditioned for another show that was being directed by Nancy Medina. Mm -hmm. And so it was a casting call that I'd just seen and applied for. Um, Didn't realise that it was connected with that, with, with Nancy. And at that point, I didn't know much about Nancy. And so that was great. It was with Nancy Medina and then, um, three students from the theatre school who were between their, yeah, who were going into their final year. And so we were rehearsing up at the school, which was quite surreal. And then we had a month up in Edinburgh. So that was, that was really, really And great. so what, what, what show was that? What, what were you that was Et to Elvie. Right. Shakes, Elvis Presley's life as a Shakespearean tragedy. Right. And okay. I was playing... Young Elvis. Young Elvis. Young <laughs> yes. Elvis. So um, stress that. So how do you how do you approach that role then? Because presumably, people that came to see the show, everyone's got an idea of what they think Elvis Presley should look like and talk and sound like and move. How did you approach playing playing that particular historical character? Well, we had um, we were quite lucky in that the producer runs the world's biggest Elvis Presley festival, um, where have. Elvis tribute acts, ETAs from all around the world come. So we did have a a session with Britain's leading Elvis tribute acts. So that was obviously for focusing more on the performance, the singing, because we did both Elvises had to sing in the show, me far less, just the at the end. And so that was useful in terms of, it wasn't so much about mannerisms, but it was, you know, we were learning about why he sang the way he did and you know one really interesting thing for me certainly performance wise was that his that signature leg shake came from nerves so initially he was just that when he was nervous his leg would shake so he eventually just exaggerated that into a movement and so particularly as I was playing Elvis from pre-performance to about Vegas days um that sort of really helped. Just it, that little nugget like that really helps in giving an insight. Into and did the you character. did you research the man himself as well? Did you did you kind of read up on his? his yeah, life? definitely. Um, watched a couple of documentaries that had been recommended, um, and there was also I can't remember who was in it, but it was it was one of those made for TV dramas that was quite enjoyable. Really, right. I mean, they were possibly a little liberal with the truth. So I watched that, but I think. Because a lot of the dialogue was Shakespeare text as well, we didn't... The, the the one thing that certainly Nancy wanted to avoid is that we were doing a version of a character mm. speaking this text. So everything did come from the text, which mm. had been chosen specifically to highlight those areas in Elvis's journey. And Nancy decided, I think probably halfway through the rehearsal process, that she didn't want us to do the accent. So which we found difficult because, of course, that's so wedded to the character that you know, but in a way it helped it to make that journey within the show, I suppose, feel more real. Mm. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. So uh, you're obviously 
played Elvis and you've played, uh, you know, alongside me in Goldilocks Stock and Three Spoken Bears where you played Barry. Highlight. And, uh, well, you know, thank you. And um, so what's your, how do you approach playing a character? How much prep do you like to put in before you get to that day one? Or, or do you like to let it all kind of happen in the room and absorb it all? You know, what's your method? I think it, um, I suppose it depends slightly on the role, but yeah. I would say primarily I I need to get a sense of who that character is beyond the the text in the play. So I like, you know, that classic thing of where you're, you're going through the text and you say, what does he say about himself? What do others say about him? Mm. And then what can you infer by the way things are said? So I, don't, I like to try and build up a sense of who that character is. Also something I find really useful is picturing them as a child. Right, OK. Yeah. Okay. That's so how does really, that work? Well, you basically... I think that happens once you feel you've got a sense of the character, but then if you jump back to them as a child, that's like uh, you're seeing them before all the filters because most most of our behaviour as we get older is based on all this learnt behaviour of being polite or what's it, you know, holding back, holding down negative emotions or emotions that are not socially acceptable. Mm. So if you can get that character back to their childlike state, that I think that really helps you get their baseline. Yeah, interesting. Does that always work? Do, do you often do you kind of go around in circles, or do you do you end, do you have to just make a decision eventually and say that's what I'm going to do with that character? I don't think I don't feel no. I've never felt like I go around in circles because probably by the time I'm doing, I, because a lot of the say that child exercise that helps more with the interior. It yeah. helps with the interior world rather than necessarily the actual script. Yeah. So it's just about getting. I think that exercise helps you just to feel that comfort level with the... More texture and more security, yeah. etc. Yeah, I did yeah. do one project where um, uh, it's, a, it's a film that I made last year, which, which is in post-production, and I had to play a character who was suppressing a lot. So in order... And that's really... Mm, that's that hard. was a challenge, because <laughs> yeah. obviously I had to find what that character was suppressing... So obviously I did a lot of prep work with that and had a lot of meetings with the director beforehand. Um, but the the best thing happened is when we were actually on set and we were filming on location in that character's house and and being able to use that space to 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 really inhabit the space as him was really good. But um, apparently I freaked out one of the assistant director <laughs> who'd, who'd said, oh, I was in the garden and I was talking to Peter, but he was being really weird so you were living the character yeah i was yeah. in the character. i mean i think you have to do that though sometimes yeah. right especially on a film because yeah you gotta you gotta hit it straight away you can't you can't turn up on day one and need to you know can i just yeah. work on this and you know you got to go as soon as the as soon as they start rolling yeah well great so we're gonna uh, talk more to peter after this little break and we'll have some more questions for him after this hello there and thank you for listening to bristol prologue Bristol Prologue is a brand new podcast and Jack and I are still learning the ropes. So we'd like your feedback. Please email us at bristolprologue at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Bristol Prologue. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to Bristol Prologue. We're joined this week by Peter Baker. Peter, thank Hi. you for joining us. Pleasure. Um, so we were talking before the break about your process and how you approach your role and different things you like to do. Um, so I was wondering what kind of roles do you dread when they come up, do you not know how to approach and how do you get around that? 
Oh, I think the roles that I dread are the roles which are furthest up, which are furthest away from me and my nature, and probably extent. I think as an actor, you 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 have to be an empath, mm-hmm. and you have to um, connect with people and imagine what their lives are like, and, and imagine what they're thinking, and you know you sort of analyze them in situations, which is something I've always done, even when I wasn't performing uh so i think it's the roles where you get a role and it's someone that you think i'm gonna have to work really hard to Mm. understand how you think i don't know this person yeah Yeah. i don't know this person any particular examples like the way you've really thought uh, on the face of it at least this could be a struggle um i think actually possibly in goldilocks right right so uh obviously the show that i did with um the the inestimable (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh god i thought i'd be great. able to say that far easier great word great word <laughs> yes uh uh um yes yeah, so, so obviously that was multi-rolling playing different you know uh four different characters four different characters i mustn't forget sting <laughs> um i was repl- uh i was filling in for the great lottie allen while she was doing reservoir mogs um yeah, and so it, it was funny because. What? Sorry, what were the characters? The for characters who don't know were the show? you had uh, Barry, who was sort of secondhand to you know he was a sort of older, older bloke, a bit of a bruiser, um, secondhand man to the the crime boss. You had Maggie, a Scottish porridge maker, who was uh, pretty much uh, so joined at the hip with her sister. Uh, you had Rupert, who was one of the three yuppie bears. And then you had Sting. And who... so which of those parts was the one that you were kind of thinking, oh, I don't know how I'm going to tackle this? Well, it's interesting because before the rehearsal, I sort of, or before the audition, I went in and I felt quite confident about the characters because I'd, I sort of thought, OK, this is this is fun. But I'd probably gone in slightly, maybe with not with a thinly drawn uh, understanding of the characters. <laughs> But once I was in rehearsals, it was actually Rupert, the posh, toffee character, toff character, which, um, I mean, obviously you can hear my speaking voice. I'm <laughs> not exactly... Uh, so uh, so how do you get around that then? Is that Do you have a sort of thing that you do with every character that you, you don't necessarily get a handle for straight away? Or is it, you know, what, what's your method? I think... Because you were great as Rupee, obviously, so you did overcome any early I think, uh, objections that you might have had. I think... I think obviously it again it depends on the project you know if you're if you've got the luxury of a really long process then you can really indulge in I mean sometimes it might take source material uh, sometimes music listening to music you think that character will listen to or or anything like that or watching films where you think you see those characters in uh, any way like that or you or probably the better way is you just try to find those things about the character that do resonate with you and that's your that's your way in, mm. and also trust in your director mm-hmm. because if you're not doing it right, your director <laughs> will let you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think possibly with that one, obviously it was difficult because I'd seen that character played before. Mm. So I think possibly where I was going wrong was I was trying to copy, possibly trying to copy. I right. don't know if that was subconsciously happening. So I think, well, as you remember during the run, I think my Rupert did shift yeah, a yeah. fair bit and became something something different, but that worked still in the piece. Yeah. And 
by then, of course, you love it, and that's the character that you want to. And then you, you start wait. to feel comfortable in that yeah. skin, and then yes. you find. You, yeah, I think you're right though with the characters that, that, on the face of it, seem the hardest. When you do find something in that person, so that you can basically be them on stage, that's mm. when you get the most joy because it's the one that requires the most, the most work. Right? Yeah, there's yeah. also a thing about the the devised character yes. from the scripted character where you mm. you have a different kind of ownership. Definitely, and I think um, that was very much. Um, stressed in the process that obviously we're joining a device company so there were two of us um, myself and Alice Lamb joining for this for that specific run in Portsmouth Portsmouth? Plymouth Plymouth Plymouth, uh, Plymouth. <laughs> yes how can I forget a P port <laughs> yeah. um, and you know we, we were in we were encouraged to feel free to bring bring our own work to that and to redevise if necessary I think Obviously, with that show, it, it's the script that we had at that point is there for a reason because that show has been honed and performed to a point where that's how it works really well. So I don't really think we changed much at, no, at all. No, little, little bits, I think. Little but, bits. Um, so that, that was Goldilocks, Stock and Three Smoking Bears, um, yeah. which is a nice way of talking about, yeah, a character where it wasn't so right for you. So mm. you're, you're fortunate enough to have been reasonably in demand lately. You've worked, you've worked quite a lot in theatre. So what are the jobs that you get asked to do that you think, not again, or, you know, I don't want to play that character. You know, what have you, what do you not want to be cast as? Um, well, I, I did, a, I, I went to, it was interesting because I'd, I'd helped Nancy with some auditions for another project that, 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 that didn't happen, you know, where so I was reading in the room with other people auditioning with that same producer who was producing the Elvis Presley um, performance. And we were just talking about what I was doing and I realised that the three three roles that I had, although were very different, oh, one was a picture that he'd seen, were all women. Right. <laughs> and he went, oh, oh, careful, you don't want to be tap cast yeah, as a woman. It's, it's true, though. And know. Yeah, and then I started thinking, oh, yes, I don't... I don't really want that. But then you can't be typecast as a woman because there are hundreds, <laughs> thousands, millions of different types of characters. So, and that's, that's, you know, that's nothing that, so that, what that hadn't been anything that I'd ever thought about. But but I suppose the flip side of that is what are the parts that you would, that you never get asked to play that you'd love to play? Oh, well, of course, you know, everyone, everyone would love to do a, a meaty Hamlet Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was that was when I did my uh, the Shakespeare term. That that was the the character I got was a scene from Hamlet. So I I feel like my I've slightly got that out of my system. But yeah, and and often in the world of improv, you end up falling into the role of a sort of upper class authority figure. You know, of kind of slightly charming Lothario type individual. But yes. did you wish in improv stage film? that you could do something completely different from that, that, you know, that you haven't explored? Yes, yeah, definitely. I think um, it's interesting, the, so the film that I just made, House of Bricks, the director has another project that she wants to do in, I think, 2020, 2021. Right. Um, and she started listing it and listing the characters, and my eyes went shiny at um, one of the characters, which I think it, it, was, a, it was a homeless guy so someone who was who was down and look and she had did have me down thinking as maybe the banker right and 
and and it's great because her seeing that interest in my eyes made her sort of mm. rethink. So I mean, this is early stages on a project, but yeah. it's you know just an example. But good to get that in in there early, right? Yes. Because otherwise you'll yeah. turn up and well, yeah, you could be the banker. It's like well, yeah, yeah. I know I could be the banker, yeah. but <laughs> so are there, are there things um, stage, screen, wherever that you won't do characters that you won't play, think areas that you won't won't touch. Uh, I don't you, think there are characters not comfortable with or... I don't think there are characters that I wouldn't do or wouldn't touch I, I think it, there might be projects I wouldn't do because you can have you could have a very deplorable despicable or questionable character but if they're in a project where it's clear that that mm. character is not being presented as something positive mm. or you know, that, that there is some sort of uh, response to that character or, or if that's part of the meaning of the piece. But if there was, I suppose if there was a deplorable or, uh, I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm going, I'm meaning something racist, sexist, mm-hmm. homophobic. Um, and if it was just that for the sake of it and mm. it wasn't saying something, then yes. Does it, does it stay with you when you play characters that have those negative qualities? Do you, do you uh, lose yourself into a, into a part? Yes, I did. Um, so, uh, again, to mention this film, uh, House of Bricks, I play. So it's a it's a story which is exploring. Uh, so it's a story about a group of friends, and the the story is essentially a fairy tale, exploring rape culture, and my character is um, fortunately the, you know, is potentially, well, is a negative, yeah, character in yeah. that. So. That was having to access some of that was maybe a bit yeah difficult. because you have to find a truth right yeah. in that character that this yeah. character really d- does feel that way yeah when you get home at the end of the night you know do you how do you shake it off um, well I think it was interesting with that one because it was it's it's quite ambiguous which I think is the point of the film and talking about or for him it's ambiguous right so so difficult then to, to, so, to get rid of it because you're kind yeah. of carrying two contrasting yeah. feelings yeah but i think it's 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 definitely difficult because i would find myself looking at people in a different yeah. way when i'm in that yeah, character yeah. or just just having a slightly different attitude to people and and so it's it's difficult when you've been immersed in it for a while to switch it off yeah. and then to go back to being that person and even also, in between takes i mean how do you how do you deal with in between takes do you, do you stay in character when you can or uh, for some for some takes I would and then for others you'd definitely want to shake it off. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard away. a really good um, way of putting it from an actor on some chat show <laughs> the other day, and it was you know you, you you your brain knows what's going on but your body doesn't. You know you yeah. you, you can't lie to your body. Your body is that character. Yeah. And your body doesn't forget the mm. movements and the things that you do. You have to you have to convince yeah. your body that it's real. So mm. you, it can take a while to. Yeah. To let go of things like that, and I think particularly if you are channeling something that is is, if you are channeling something that is in your experience. So even when I did the the Hamlet course, the scene we did is at uh, the point in the play where he's really stressed, worked up, and paranoid. Um, and sorry, that was just Jack's phone. <laughs> <laughs> that is shocking unforgivable well it's live you know it's it's not recorded live yeah (laughs) we didn't write peter's lines for him no sorry peter continue (laughs) yeah so uh yeah so doing a scene at that point in the play and also this was early on so this was probably i wasn't even yet a year into 
um, acting again. And I think I, I just accessed all those, all those emotions, the paranoia, things like that, which also meant it was taking myself back to a vulnerable time, mm. probably the time when I wasn't doing performing and anything. So, I mean, so even walking down the street, I'd start, I'd just be like, why are people looking at who, wow. well, that person looked at me? Yeah, yeah. And so I think I realised I probably went to an extreme yeah. in that in that situation. Um, so so which so again, it's about learning that process because I forget who said this, but to me, but uh, that it's it's just as important to 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 uh, drop that character and to take yourself out of that character at the end of the day than it is to find the character and get into it mm. good good advice i think um so i saw you first performing in some improv with uh close Street stay doing christmas with the kringles <laughs> yes. a few years ago so you've done quite a lot of improv obviously you work with close Street stay and degrees of error and various yeah. others so what is it about the world of improvised performance that, that attracts you well it's um initially what attracted me was uh uh doing a murder mystery because right. it was an improvised murder mystery i didn't know anything about improv i thought it was clever blokes clever uni blokes trying to be clever <laughs> and um then i just realized it's it's well i can tell you a multitude one it's it's addictive there's something about being in the present which is so rewarding and engaging and it and it means you are fully engaged the whole time with your partner with your scene and I think that can be applied to all scene work as well. I think since doing improv, you realise that it's actually far, so much more crossover mm. than, you know, you initially think. And also probably with um, with the murder mystery, say, for example, because it's different every night, I do get to play characters that I wouldn't normally do. I've been a Russian weightlifter. <laughs> yeah, so you've got the benefit, of course, being a member of Close Reach Day, Bristol's and yes. the world's longest running improvised narrative uh, where you play the same character every two weeks yes. so you've got to know Pablo really really well yeah. and then with Degrees of Error with Murder She Didn't Write you know you're playing loads of different characters all the time so you get into and both in long form yes. narrative that's really been your 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 bedrock yeah. do you enjoy long form more than short form is it just the way it's I think out? it's I think it's safer I think because when I started doing improv joining with this long form so a one hour narrative because I didn't feel comfortable uh I didn't think of myself as a comedian or someone who's necessarily funny so I thought what I do understand is plot particularly murder mysteries having worked for Agatha Christie for years so <laughs> um so that's where I thought I could bring things so for me my definitely my comfort blanket was having a clear character straight away so which for me began in the physicality so off stage before I go on, and I, I would usually be the last person to go on, I'd see what's missing, and then I think, okay, I'm this. So you're kind I'm of an architect old... there, sort of filling in the gaps in the, the I think, structure of the thing. I think we're all architects in that. I think we're all architects in that. We're, well, the first two people are the architects in building the world mm. that the rest of us come and jump into. But it was definitely my crutch was I'm going to choose a character and I'm going to play the emotion and play the story. And then the humour came. And then obviously you start to get more more comfortable, but that was definitely that's definitely what 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 helped me in the first first bit with improv. Yeah. Okay, um, well it's now time for some one word answers <gasps> to some quick questions. That's impossible. I'm going to make these up as I go along. Okay. I'm going to do some improvising, and I'm going to also structure it like an architect and hope that it makes some sense. 
But it might not, but let's see. So, comedy or drama? Drama. Stage or screen? Stage. Improv or scripted? Yeah. <laughs> oh, can I do both? No, you have to pick quick, one. Quick fire. Improv or scripted? Or scripted. neither. You went, scripted. Scripted. Um, Bristol or Barcelona? Oh. <laughs> we cut to the core. Yeah, Are we talking Bristol now Bristol. or retirement? Oh, whatever you want. <laughs> Bristol now, retirement, Barcelona. Okay. Um, oh. Um, Singing or dancing? Singing. And Blur or Oasis? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> Any quick fire questions, Jack? Um, should have planned these, shouldn't we, really? We, we definitely should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm um, glad you did. How are we doing on this part, Jack? Got any more time for any questions before we head to a little break? Um, no, I think we should head for a break now. No, okay. Well, we're joined by Peter Baker. And when we come back after the break, we'll be talking parlor games and then we'll have questions from listeners. In our next episode of Bristol Prologue, we're joined by Caitlin Campbell, improviser, performer and co-founder of the Bristol Improv Theatre. If you'd like to ask her a question, please email us at bristolprologue at gmail.com or direct message us on Twitter at Bristol Prologue. Okay, here we are again, joined by Peter Baker. Peter will be appearing with Degrees of Error at Pleasance Beyond for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and he's setting off in, what, a day or two? Yeah, Sunday morning. Great, great. Well, I'm sure that many people will see your excellent improv work up there. But in of course, Murder, She Didn't in Write. In Murder, She Didn't Write. But I saw you recently playing Queen Victoria in Parlour Games with Sharp Teeth, directed by Steph Kempson and also starring Andy Kelly and Lucy Harrington. I've done my homework. Well done. And I saw the show. So, Queen Victoria, how did that come about and what were your first thoughts? Well... <laughs> It came about because uh, Steph Kempson, who runs Sharp Teeth, which is an excellent scratch night at the wardrobe. And so for their third anniversary, she wanted to, um, she managed to get funding to create a collaborations project. And she had Lucy Harrington, who performs a lot with Nincompoop, fabulous clown, Gollier trained. And... Andy Kelly was directing and Gwen Thompson, who's a fantastic performer and cellist. And she said, you'll be playing Queen Victoria and Lucy will be Prince Albert. And your first reaction? <laughs> OK, it's great. And then it was only in our third day of rehearsals that Lucy and I actually just looked at each other and went, why? Yeah. I mean, we were, we, were, we were playing with the story, we were playing with the characters, but we'd never actually stopped to think, why mm. us? Why, why am I not Albert and Lucy's mm. Victoria? Um, and so we asked Steph and she said, you just seemed right for the roles, which I think is great. So it felt like gender blind casting. Yeah, well, that's great because I remember walking into the show and, and seeing the run of it before it opened and thinking... You're making a statement about gender, right, when you cast against gender. But actually, mm. as you said, it was just kind of gender blind. It, it didn't really matter. And I think from minute one, it didn't really matter to the, to the audience. No. So, so for those that weren't lucky enough to see Parlour Games, it mm. is, of course, touring uh, in the autumn across the region. What, give, the, give us a flavour of what the show is about and, and what, what, what to expect. So uh, the show is about Victoria and Albert in a period of uh, turmoil... In, so 1848, all of Europe is revolting. Victoria and Albert have escaped to the Isle of Wight for fear of 
a revolution the next day. And it's them spending the night together, trying... Victoria is, is basically wants to be distracted, so Albert is trying to find different ways to keep his wife calm and distract her, whilst also getting across his message that things need to change. Sense, parlour games, as Victoria was very fond of games. And we actually did... It, it was It was fascinating to do the show because Victoria wrote diaries every single day so there and you can find most of them online a lot has been censored censored at the time by her daughter who didn't want things being revealed but you actually have a really really clear picture of what their home lives were like also you get a sense of attitudes of the times uh, so the political situation you can marry her um, her diary entries with facts that you know of the time yeah, you need to yeah. get a rounded picture. So it, it was so good that we decided very early on on a specific period of time to focus on. And the reason we focused on it is that it it helps us to talk about what makes us so British because, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. the, all of Europe was revolting. Yeah. Uh, everyone was really, really quite worried and, and, and people did get overthrown, governments did get changed. So why not Britain? Yeah. What is it about the British? And of course, that's something that you explored in, in the show. And yeah. you, you say that you had this quite a good resource of, of material to be able to draw yes. on for the, for the content of the show. And I remember someone telling me that, you know, you almost needed a sort of a, this is historically accurate alarm to go off because some of the things are incredible can you give us some examples of some of the stuff you really wouldn't believe unless you knew it was true yeah so we did we did think that we wanted a buzzer going historically accurate (laughs) so one thing is uh at one point in the show there is a plague of frogs uh, which is taken very seriously as a plague of frogs historically accurate yeah in the diaries plague of frogs on osborne house so do you think victoria was was liberal with the truth or poetic Poetic. maybe maybe poetic poetic. maybe poetic who knows what drove thousands of frogs yeah upon osborne house but it's apparently apparently true and even um and that's the thing there are things that we found that we almost there was the risk that we would get carried away by mm. things that we that were fascinating by about the ridiculous and the, yeah. yeah or also just about cramming in lots of facts yeah. and we realized we had to strip back a few things so actually victoria was had only just given birth a week before and was postnatal and in the early generation uh, you know as we were the early gestation of the piece that was a factor and we realized we're just cramming so much in here that we don't, it, it's clouding, clouding things too much. So so trying to strip it back because also we didn't want it to be a dry historical piece, mm. which thankfully it isn't mm. um, because it's also, it's also funny. It, it's yeah, a comedy. It's, it's very funny and really well acted and really well, really well written and, and really nicely paced. I really, I really enjoyed the show. So we, we talked a little bit earlier about how you, you work with Nancy Medina and I saw from, from your, Bio that you sent us, you've also worked with Toby Holtz, etc. So what was it like working with Steph? What did you learn from Steph? And what did you... Steph Campson, the director. So Steph was great. She works... It's... this Obviously, it's advising process. This was different with the other two. It was working... Well, actually, with, with Nancy, it was scripted. With um, Toby, it was semi-devised because, obviously, the Wojciech script is incomplete. So mm. there are areas to work. But... Um, so Steph, yeah, Steph just led a really, really 
fun, warm room. There was one point where we, we I think early on in the R&D, we were slightly worried that mm. it seemed to be going Naturally. <laughs> so well. We oh, thought, I see. This, right. this should be, okay. this should be, what, why, why, why aren't... <laughs> Where's the stress? Where, yeah. where, why, where, why are no tempers flaring? <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, she, she, she brings in so many exercises that are unexpected as well for approaching the character we had one in particular which i think was possibly one of the most difficult exercises i've had to do where you stand talking as yourself talking as a friend talking about you and right. I, I can't remember the last one i think is talking as but that you discover yeah. you discover so much there you I discover guess, so much kind of it, yeah it's coming yeah. organically yeah. yeah so so it was really great and then it was also quite uh in keeping with the theme of the play it was quite a democratic yeah. process initially an approach to the script so dividing things up easily and then of course you know you're you're funneling it into towards the direction of so and andy kelly yeah. um and matt whittle of course worked yeah. on it as well so yeah you had a great team i mean yeah. it felt you know being involved with it ever so slightly like a real good team spirit and you and yeah. lucy had a really great chemistry and then you got andy doing his doing such great work at mm. the back just kind of being there but not mm. getting in the way too much you know it was a really really great piece um so i would encourage everyone to go and see it with you don't need to know all the dates obviously off the top of your head but where can we find out where we can see parlor games so at the beginning of october so we'll be um at the rondo possibly like the third and fourth of october then right. we'll be in clevedon the following week at the theater shop the theater shop veterans the we are of Cleveland the theater shop have to love, love such a place. great yeah. unique little venue and then um Old joint stock in Birmingham. All oh, right, okay, yeah, great. Yeah, and then we, uh, I think we might have just recently had another date. I don't know if it's confirmed, but yeah, okay. somewhat. So we're and we can get all the dates from, from the wardrobe website. All on the wardrobe website, yeah, wardrobetheatre.com. Uh, Let's hope Edinburgh doesn't um, string you out too much, and that you can get the dress and everything back on again when you. Uh, oh God, yeah. When you get back. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if I put on weight around my waist because right. the waistline is around my ribs oh that must be very comfortable for oh you. very comfortable <laughs> well hopefully the oppressive heat wave will be over at least yes by then okay so that's parlor games touring this autumn and um, i do encourage you to see it in clevedon or caution or ronda or the yeah, caution 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 ronda and bath and the old joint stuck up in birmingham yeah uh, so now it's time for some questions from some listeners that have come in via twitter um so let me just open up my twitter machine aka my phone so that i can make sure i'm crediting these questions correctly so this comes from at seven biz mm. who are some of the performers that inspire you oh um i think going well obviously andy it goes without saying <laughs> i don't harry have Humston. to look very far <laughs> harry <Humston. laughs> is a great inspiration yeah. um I mean, it's slightly true. You do get inspired by the people around you and uh, who you work so that. So I could list loads of people, but that would just feel like I'm brown nosing. <laughs> so um, in terms of film, uh, so, uh, the first name that springs to mind is Isabelle Huppert, that the French actress in the piano and L and so forth. I, so I, I was slightly obsessed with French cinema for a while. Um, so yeah, I love that's a real left field choice. It's quite not expecting that, <laughs> yeah. but that's great. I'm, I'm yeah. going to be frantically Wikipediaing and IMDbing 
this person afterwards. Yeah. Uh, okay, so another question uh, from Ali Campbell at Esme Matthews. Reveal, please reveal your secrets of eternal youth, Peter. Well, Ali is very kind. Not so much a question, more of a demand. It's a demand, isn't it? Um, I wish I could tell you the secret. <laughs> I think it's just just uh, lucky genes. Uh, well, uh, and don't wash too often. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky jeans and don't wash too often. So there's no yeah. sort of, you know, morning yoga and, and detoxing every two months or anything. It's just luck of the draw. I, I think I think it's like luck of the draw. Right. I do think I've aged more in the last few years because I'm pulling so many silly faces on stage. Because <laughs> you're in acting instead of yeah. earns more regular yeah. money. Um, and a question from um, my lovely wife, Amber. Um, we sort of covered it already, but why, uh, why move to Bristol from Barcelona? But so maybe let's adapt that question a little bit. What is it about Bristol that you love so much? Why have you stayed here? Yeah, well, I think that's a really good question is why have I stayed? Because there was no guarantee. I'd used, I'd lived in London before um, and I certainly missed London a lot while being in, in Barcelona. So the initial reason for, for coming to Bristol was the fact that I'd done the course and I had uh, the part-time evening course, the Bristol Acting Academy, which would allow me to work, also settle into getting into um, living in the UK again. And then what kept me was, I think, the a mixture of the Bristol scene, uh, the Bristol theatre scene and the people. And the reason the Bristol theatre scene set, kept me is that it was just such a good place to learn about so many different areas. So, I mean, I was... Although I was coming into it age 35, I think I definitely had the brain of someone much younger in terms of my understanding of the industry and, yeah, and the work yeah, and yeah. what's created. So I didn't know what device theatre was. I didn't know what a scratch night was. So it was definitely just by being able to go and see things at the wardrobe or and obviously, you know, tobacco factory, Old Vic, just just learning. Yeah, just, yeah. It's a really good place to learn and meeting people. And I think people are generally really supportive of each other which i think mm. is important mm. so i've got a quick question uh mm. what what would you do if you weren't an actor what's the what's the burning ambition oh maybe i would uh maybe i'd i'd uh i'd try to record that album that i just <laughs> I, I keep saying i'm gonna record anything so outside of the arts outside of the arts um you could see yourself doing or, or as a child you thought I really want to be a when I grow up. No, this is what I wanted. This this was the thing. This is it then. You do it. <laughs> no, <laughs> or not. You know, no. probably not. Let's, I do. Let's I, say not. I do sometimes when I'm passing people at five thirty and they're they're finishing their job. I do get pangs of of real wistfulness <laughs> because I do I do miss it. I had you know I did I did enjoy my job when I was working and yeah, met really yeah. good people and there's something so nice about that regularity and I guess also, the answer is you've already done the thing that you did that you might do after acting you did it before and yeah. Uh, yeah 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 uh Jack have you got any questions for Peter Baker I suppose I wanted to ask you've worked in you've worked in recorded acting yeah and with um theatre and live acting and mm. I just wonder like what's the biggest challenging difference between them I think the biggest challenging difference is probably the the biggest challenging difference for film is the lack of an audience and the lack of a linear narrative 
Yeah. So the lack of the audience, because um, I do feel that every show is going to be slightly different based on the on the audience. There's an inescapable yeah. There's an inescapable energy that comes from the audience that informs the dynamic on stage and the way that uh, you perform all together. And there are audiences. So even with parlor games over four, across four days, we had people who really responded to the comedy. And then one one night where it was the night that of the protest march against Trump in London. So I think politics was at the forefront of people's minds. So they were really invested in that aspect. So it changed the 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 tenor of the piece for us in the room. So that's something you don't get on film. And then the other thing is, obviously, you're not working. You know, you're the filming sequence is based on, you know, so many other variables that are outside of the, your performance. The time of day or yeah. like which yeah. locations are available. Yeah, so it's 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 very technical in a very different way. And that's something that you've got to work out. And so then the challenges with theatre as opposed to film, what's... Challenge... <laughs> the whole other show. <laughs> <laughs> the challenges with theatre is that once you've started, you can't stop. <laughs> yeah. It can and will go wrong. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to make a fool of yourself, yeah. probably. Yeah. Yeah, ten minutes before the show goes on, you can't stop. You have to go out there and you have to do it, and it has to get done, so that's the challenge. But then at least in an hour, hour and a half, it's over. <laughs> and you'll probably have been really glad you did it. <laughs> well, speaking of it being over and really oh. glad you did it, um, Peter, I don't think we've got time for any more. There's so much more we could have talked about, not least the fact that you feature on a Bjork album. Oh, yes. What's the track and what's the album, just so I can listen to it later? Uh, it was a charity... It was a, it was a charity album, uh, Army of Me. Right. Well, I'm going to be listening to that when we do the edit of this podcast. It's very short. <laughs> Well, Peter, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, obviously, good luck up in Edinburgh with, with Degrees Vera. We're going to be talking to Caitlin Campbell from Degrees uh, in just a few days' time, so we're going to find out loads more about that and all Great. the gossip of Murder, She Didn't Write. Mm -hmm. um, and then best of luck with the Parlour Games tour. And then hopefully we'll see you again uh, in the autumn. Uh, Close Roots Day comes back. You, there's many opportunities to see the wonderful Peter Baker. Thank you. Uh, so so thanks for coming on, Peter, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> thank you. Bristol Prologue is produced and hosted by Jack Drury and Andrew Kingston. For all inquiries, please email bristolprologue at gmail.com. And if you'd like to feature on the podcast, please email us telling us a little bit about who you are and any projects you may have coming up. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Bristol Prologue.